and open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter number 25, 1 Samuel chapter number 25, 1 Samuel chapter number 25, we're continuing our series on the home relationships and marriage and parenting, and to be honest, this message tonight has been rewritten three different times this week. I started out thinking, I want to preach on Wives, how to help your husbands lead when they don't want to, okay? So, and that went out the window as I started looking at this text, and I, I started feeling like the Lord wanted me to preach on this passage, and then I thought about it, and I'm like, okay, well, this is a godly wife in a toxic relationship, but the more I read the chapter, the more I became, became convinced that it's more than just a toxic relationship. This is really an abusive relationship, and so my subject for this evening has kind of shifted in the message that I want to bring from 1 Samuel chapter number 25. Let's go ahead and start reading the first few verses here just to get some context. In verse 25, starting in verse number 1, And Samuel died, and all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him and buried him in his home at Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon, whose possessions were in Carmel, and the man was very great, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. But the man was curlish and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. And David sent out ten young men, and David said unto the young men, Get you up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus shall ye say to him that liveth in prosperity, Peace be both to thee, and peace be to thine house, and peace be unto all that thou hast. And now I have heard that thou hast shears. Now thy shepherds, which were with us, we heard them not, neither was there aught missing unto them, all the while they were in Carmel. Ask the, thy young men, and they will show thee. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in thine eyes, for we come in a good day, 
Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servants and to thy son David. And when David's young men came, they spake to Nabal according to all those words in the name of David, and ceased. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is this son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shears and give it unto men whom I know not, whence they be? So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told him all those sayings. And David said unto his men, Gird ye on every man his sword, and they girded on every man his sword. And David also girded on his sword. And there went up after David about 400 men, and 200 abode by the stuff. We'll stop there for a second, but let's go and open up in a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you will bless this message. It's a hard message, a, a deep message, Lord, to preach, and one that's needed. And I just pray that you will give guidance and clarity of thought tonight. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this story, we see a confrontation arising between David and between a man named Nabal. And in, in this story, we're going to see an abusive man who his servants, they're all afraid of him. They don't want to approach onto him. And his wife, Abigail, is the only reason that, he is, that his life is, is even saved by the end of the story. And when I, when I look at this relationship between Abigail and between Nabal, their marriage relationship, I see a lot of signs of abuse in, this, in the relationship that they have. Abuse oftentimes shows up in relationships through manipulation, constant sarcasm and contempt, controlling, or feeling, or if you have this feeling of you're constantly walking on eggshells, and it just grows from there. And when I speak of like toxic relationships, I mentioned that word a second ago, I'm not talking about relationships that just have occasional problems, okay? I think some people are quick to jump the gun and think, oh, my marriage is horrible because we have issues. And that's not what we're talking about tonight. I'm not even talking about marriages that have set-in problems that they need to deal with. But oftentimes these toxic relationships are permeated by toxic behavior that leads to abuse. But today we're going to focus on the story of one woman, Abigail, and how she interacted and how she lived in a toxic, abusive relationship in 1 Samuel chapter number 25. I think most times, if we had Nabal and Abigail today, Abigail probably would have divorced Nabal, right? Everybody agree there? Okay. <clears throat> and I honestly, later on, I will be preaching a three-part series on divorce but that is not what the focus of, of tonight's message is going to be. I'd like to look at some lessons that we can glean from Abigail on being a godly wife, even though she is in an abusive, toxic relationship. To frame the story, though, we need to understand the background of the story. We've seen David comes down. He's actually protected um, Nabal's uh, shepherds out in the field, out in Carmel, and given them safe haven, and they didn't take any of their sheep. And the day comes that Nabal wants to shear his sheep. And David hears about this, so he sends some men to go and ask some money. After all, I mean, he'd taken care of and protected all of Nabal's shepherds. And Nabal rejects him. And you can see the spite in Nabal's answer in verse number 10. It says, And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? He knows who David is. Because the very next phrase tells you exactly who David is in his mind. There be many servants nowadays 
that break away every man from his master. So Nabal looks at David as just a, a rebel rebelling against Saul, and he despises him. And that, that contempt comes through in his answer that he sends back to David. And obviously that makes David angry, and David decides he's going to kill Nabal and everybody there. That basic storyline is what's going to unfold as we progress through this text. But from this text, we see what kind of a man Abigail was married to. What kind of a husband did Abigail have? First of all, in verse number three, he was a fool. Now the name of the man was Nabal, okay? Nabal is, literally means a fool. Nabal did not fear God. He did not care about what was right or wrong. In fact, later on, um, Abigail even says his name means a fool, okay? So, you know, she's, she publicly declares he is what his name says he is. Nabal was a foolish man. He didn't take into account the wisdom of God and God's desires for his life. He lived according to what he wanted and what made sense to him. In verse number three, it also says that he was a curlish man, a curlish man, or a cruel man is what the meaning of that word is. He was, he was given to getting angry quickly, to acting cruelly towards people, and the word literally in Hebrew means to cause harm. This, this is one of the reasons I, I view this man as being abusive. He was causing harm in the way he was interacting with people. In verse number 17, we see that not only was he a fool, not only was he cruel, but he was unapproachable. Verse 17 says, uh, Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do, for evil is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. Nabal couldn't be reasoned with. He had his own opinions and he didn't care what anybody else had to say. And even his own servants were afraid of him. They had to go to Abigail. Okay? She was the go-to person because Nabal was, was so unapproachable. He says that, that a man cannot speak to him. He wouldn't listen. And honestly, I think that kind of explains some of the things that Abigail does. Because notice, she doesn't ask his permission to go take all these lambs and go present them to David. She just goes and she does it because she knows that Nabal is not going to listen and there is no reasoning with him. In uh, verses 18 through 19, it says, Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two bottles of wine and five sheep ready dressed and five measures of parched corn and 100 clusters of raisin and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on asses. And she said unto her servants, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she told not her husband Nabal. Because Nabal was not going to listen. Nabal was not going to respond properly. So he was a fool, he was cruel, he was unapproachable. But in verse 36 it says that he was also a drunkard. And Abigail came to Nabal. And behold, he held a, fe he held a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunken. Wherefore she told him nothing, less or more, until the morning. Nabal was so drunk that he's not even aware of what's going on, and Abigail is wisely choosing not to go and to talk to him because he is drunk. And I think a lot of times when you're dealing with abusive situations, many of them start off with one of the, one of the people being drunk, being inebriated. He had plenty of goods to give uh, to, to David, as we can see from the fact that he was throwing a party, okay? So, and, he, and he was indulging. He consumes it all for himself. And he gives in to the excess of alcohol, but Abigail 
stays away while he is drunk until he sobers up. And then in verse 37, he was also an angry man. It says, but it came to pass in the morning when the wine was gone out of Nabal and his wife had told him these things that his heart died within him and he became as a stone. Most, most people believe that Nabal was so angry that he fell into a paralytic attack at this moment because of his fury. And eventually he would die from that. But clearly with all these descriptions, Nabal was not a good man. And I think sometimes women find themselves married to a man who maybe they used to be a good man. I, don't, I imagine, well, Abigail probably had an arranged marriage, but, but I imagine at some point she thought that Nabal was a decent man. And a lot of women find themselves in relationships to a, a man who isn't what he seemed to be. Maybe she even still loved him. Sometimes we find a position, find ourselves in a position that we didn't think we would ever be in, married to someone that, can, can, that turns into somebody else. And I think oftentimes, uh, if you're in that type of relationship, that can change who you are, being married to a person like that. But Abigail stayed faithful to her God. And like I said, the lesson tonight is not about whether she should have divorced or anything with leaving him, but the lesson today is how she handled being in such a relationship. First thing I want to look at tonight, the first response, Abigail had every reason to be afraid, but yet she did not allow that fear to keep her from doing what was right. Situations like abuse can be terrifying. They can be hard. Abigail could have potentially been, been killed for what she did, right? Uh, if, if she'd have gone to Nabal when he was drunk, what would have happened? She, he would have at least beaten her, if not killed her, right? And I do think that we can see within this text there is an element of fear, not just of Nabal and what he will do, because she doesn't go to him and she doesn't talk to him, but we also see a fear of what David will do. And really, her fear of David was a fear of what Nabal had caused. Oftentimes, women who are in situations like this are are prone to give in to fear. And fear is not always the wrong thing. I mean, when you go on a roller coaster, right, and you're getting ready to go down that roller coaster, what, what emotion do you have? Brother Davis, what emotion do you have? So, mixed emotions, okay? <laughs> Excitement for some of you and terrifying fear for others of you. Why do we feel that way at that moment? Because we think we're going to die, right, okay? We're afraid for our lives. Is that a wrong feeling to have? Like if I see a fire and it's raging and I decide to back up because I'm afraid of getting burnt, is that a wrong feeling to have? No, it is not. There is a time to be afraid. There is a healthy type of fear. And in this situation, I think she has a healthy type of fear because she is afraid of what Nabal would do to her if she talks to him. And she is afraid of what David is going to do if she doesn't intercede and resolve this situation. As I was studying for this message, I came across this case study by a, a counselor who was talking about situations like this. I'll just read it to you. Uh, Jane and Joe both profess to be believers. Jane comes in for counseling to be a better wife. She appeared timid and fearful. In data gathering, Jane describes a marriage that involves verbal and physical abuse. Jane was completely confused and afraid. She felt crazy. It seemed like she couldn't do anything right. She walked on eggshells around her husband. Easy word to describe that, she's afraid. He would berate her for being boring and then became angry 
when they would go out that she was talking too much and embarrassing him. He told her she was stupid and weak, that her friends and family were worthless, that he didn't want them around. If she attempted to solve any conflicts between them, he would deride her as unrepentant and unsubmissive, a terrible wife and a terrible mother. Anything that went wrong in life became her fault, whether it was the kids getting sick, the car breaking down, her husband being late for work. She would resolve to try harder, to be more careful, to be quieter, to not talk on the phone, to not talk to all these other people. But her attempts to improve did not solve anything. Within the last year, Joe's anger had erupted in physical pushing her, slapping her in the face, and even an episode of choking. And she could predict the pattern. There would be some kind of blow up that was her fault. Then there would be false apologies, trying to make up for it for about a week. He would give her flowers and candy, things like that. Then for about two weeks, there was an escalation of verbal abuse. After, after that, there was another physical incident. So Jane anticipated that about every three weeks, she would have to be very careful because something was going to set him off in a rage. She never wanted to call the police or to flee because she was convinced it was her fault. And if she just tried a little harder to be a better wife, she could fix it. Then he would love her and quit being so angry and violent. After all, he claimed to be a Christian. Now, a woman in a situation like that, it's, it's a shame that this is a Christian family that's even being talked about. But a woman who's in a situation like that is going to be afraid. I mean, every three weeks, that she's going to say something that's going to set him off. And to be honest, there is no avoiding setting him off because of the type of man he is. Something is going to come up. And fear is a natural response to danger. And it shouldn't be ignored in situations like this. Clearly, Abigail did not let her fear keep her from seeking the protection that she needed. It, danger was coming. And this time, not from Nabal, but rather because of him. But she isn't paralyzed by her fear. She takes steps to protect herself and those she is in charge of. I think it's important here. The shepherds come to her. She is responsible for these shepherds. And when danger is coming, she steps in to save her, not only her life, but their lives as well. In abusive situations, there are oftentimes other people that are dependent on us, like in Abigail's situation, a mother with her kids. The mother is not usually the only one who is being abused. And there, there needs to be a moment when she steps forward to take action because her kids are at stake in that situation. She can't allow her fear to conquer her. Understanding that Nabal was unapproachable and evil shed some light on the fact that she doesn't go and she doesn't ask his permission and talk to him first. But Abigail takes steps to do what is right, even though she knows that her husband is not going to stand with her, and even though it may place her in danger. Abigail determined she was going to do right, but here's, here's the thing. She was smart about how she did it. Okay? Abigail is praised. It says here in verse number three, she was a woman of good understanding. And even David, David praises her for being wise. In verse 33, it says, And blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou which hast kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with mine own hand. So in the face of danger, in a, fa in, in a situation where she would be afraid, she still did was, what was right, but she was smart about how she did it. Notice, first of all, she didn't advertise to Nabal and make it into something that's going to provoke him. There's wisdom in that. 
She's not seeking to, to create a fight and to create more situations. If an abused woman needs help, she needs to reach out to someone who can help. And I think, in a way, this Abigail going to David is doing that. But it's, oftentimes in counseling, it's recommended that husbands and wives not come together for counseling in these situations. Because anything she says in counseling will be used against her as, as a weapon. And Abigail is smart. She's not, she's not trying to provoke him, to aggravate him. So if you are in an abusive situation, I, I, believe, I, I believe this text is teaching that you should take the steps to get safety and to, to get this thing taken care of, but you need to do it in a wise way. I pray, this, this is probably one of my biggest fears, because I have known women who have been in this type of situation and their churches were not behind them in this situation. I pray that if any woman, maybe you're a man and your wife's beating you, I don't know, okay? So, but if any woman who is in this type of situation that you would believe and trust that your church would be there to help you and that you would come to seek that help. And I think a piece, one piece of advice is that at some point the police may need to be involved. And I know that's scary, that's, that's something to be afraid of, but Romans 13 teaches that the government is to be a terror to those who do evil. Right. It is to be a terror to those who do evil. That's the government's role. <clears throat> so she was wise in that she didn't advertise it to Nabal. But she also didn't approach him when he was drunk. If we turn over to the next page in verse number 36 here. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he held a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunken. Wherefore, she told him nothing, less or more, until the morning. Notice that word, wherefore. The reason she didn't tell him anything is why? Because he was very drunken. She knew that it would be unwise to approach him while he is drunk, because he is not going to restrain himself. <clears throat> Physical abuse oft oftentimes happens when the abuser is drunk, and she knows uh, she knows this, and she takes the precautions that she needs to. I think of Proverbs 22, verse 3. We, we talked about this last Sunday. We were talking about boundaries. But a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. Some victims have chosen to stay within the home for a, a myriad variety of reasons. But there needs to be wisdom when you talk to your spouse about things that, are going, that you need to deal with. Um, and when there's a, a time to flee danger, you need to take that opportunity. Having a plan for, for times like these when real damage could occur is very important. Who can you call? Who can you get to help? Who can you reach out to? But Abigail comes home and she wisely chooses not to engage with him because this is not the moment. This is, this is one of those situations where she knows she will set him off. Also in this text, we see that she did not submit to her husband, okay? I know we've just preached a whole series of messages on Ephesians 5.22. Husbands, submit yourselves unto your, not husbands. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, okay? And that is the wife's responsibility, biblically, is to submit to her own husband. But there is one major exception to that rule. And that is in areas where what he is saying would be sin. Notice in that, in that verse, Ephesians 5.22, he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. What's the last few words? As unto the Lord. 
Okay, a wife's submission to her husband is so, supposed to be done in such a way that by submitting to him, she is submitting to the Lord. Okay? Now that is impossible when the husband is saying one thing and, the, and God is saying another thing. She has to choose to submit to the Lord above her husband. Goes along with uh, what we know about government. We ought to obey God rather than men. And so there is a time to disobey your husband. Okay, ladies, don't run with that. But there is a time to disobey your husband. Some movements of Christianity, and I grew up in some of these before we came here, teach you that the wife should obey your husband no matter what. And then the punishment will fall on the husband and she will be blameless. It's heresy. It's false truth. That's not real. Okay? Romans 14, verse 12. So then every one of us shall give account of who? Himself to God. Your husband will be judged for how he led his home, but you will also be judged for what you chose to do. There is no escaping that. I don't believe in the umbrella authority of uh, the umbrella model of authority that if you just submit to your husband, everything's going to fall on him and you get, get off scot-free. That's not Bible, okay? So she chooses to disobey her husband when it is a situation where he is wrong, he is in sin. So Abigail did not let fear control her or keep her from doing what was right. Abigail also did not allow her circumstances to change her. Verse number 23, And when Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground and fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, and upon me let this iniquity be. While thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thine handmaid. And we'll continue on in a second with that. But Oftentimes, in, in situations of abuse, the wife can be molded into the same image as her husband. She can become abusive, she can become hard, she can become critical and angry, and it changes her. And she can allow it to affect her relationship with God, or even to turn her away from God in bitterness. But that is not the story that we see in the life of Abigail. Abigail did not allow her situation to change who she was. In this text, we see some things about Abigail's character. In the first section here, it says in verse 23 that she uh, hasted and lighted off her ass. Abigail didn't waste any time. She was a hard worker. She was eager to take care of this situation. And I think there is a lot to praise about Abigail. But most people looking at her probably would have missed all, the, all these positive things about her. They would have seen a woman who is abused and a, a woman who has a hard life. But Abigail works hard to protect her people and to make peace with David. We also see that she was compassionate in verse number 17. Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do, for evil is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. <clears throat> and then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two bottles of wine and five sheep ready-dressed, and five measures of parched corn, and a hundred clusters of raisin, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on asses. And she said unto her servants, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she told not her husband. Abigail takes steps to protect the people that she's in charge of. She has compassion for them. She cares for them. She, she is concerned that this evil will come on not only her, but also on her household. She is also a humble woman. We see when she speaks to David that she falls before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground. 
She bows down and shows David respect. And I think that's key in this, this conflict being resolved here, right? Why was David so angry that he was going to come and kill Nabal? Because David's pride was hurt, right? And in, in the face of his pride being hurt, Abigail humbles herself and she seeks peace with David. She knows that berating David is not going to get anywhere. She could have come there and said, David, you should know better. You're a king of, or supposed to be a king of Israel and a leader of men, and you should, you should know better than to just come after this foolish man and, and smite all these innocent people, right? Would that have gotten the, the results that she wanted to accomplish? No, it would not have, okay? She is humble, and she humbles herself before David. But more importantly than all of these other things, she points David to the Lord in verse number 26. Now therefore, my Lord... As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood, and from avenging thyself with thine own hand, now let thine enemies, and they that seek evil to my Lord, be as Nabal. And now this blessing was thine, which thine handmaid hath brought unto my Lord, let it be even unto the young men that follow my Lord. I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. She points David back to her Lord, to a focus on, on God. Abigail still knew that God cared for her, and she trusted him. She sees the very fact that God has warned her and allowed her to go and to warn David as God's mercies. Because God is sparing David from, being, from, from coming and, and killing everybody that is there. Abigail did not allow her situation to turn her from a relationship with the Lord. She is still vibrantly in love with the Lord, still fully trusting in the Lord, even in the darkest of times, even in, in hard, difficult circumstances. I think for those who are fearful, like we saw in the first section, we need to make sure that their fear is connected with God, that we show them God. That God is there with them at all times. Psalm 56, verse 3, a psalm that David would write around the same time period as this, says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In everything that Abigail faced, she did not allow it to change her and to turn her from the Lord. So she did what was right in the spite of fear. She did not allow her circumstances to change who she was. And thirdly, she interceded for her husband. This is probably one of the most amazing parts of this passage. In 24 through 31, we've already read most of these verses, but let's continue in verse 29 where we just left off. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul, but the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God, and the souls of thine enemies, them shall he sling out as out of a middle of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he hath spoken concerning thee, and shall have appointed thee ruler over Israel, that this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart unto my Lord, either that thou hast shed blood causeless, or that my Lord avengeth himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. And in uh, verse, <clears throat> verse 24, she says, And she fell at his feet and said unto him, Unto me, my Lord, unto me let this iniquity be. Let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thine, of thine handmaid. So she seeks the good of her husband. 
That's the amazing part. She wants what's best for him, what is good for him. She is seeking to preserve his life. An abused woman can oftentimes become hard or calloused towards her husband. I think it's easy to forget that maybe there were some, some good times, but the clouds that you're in right now have blocked those things out. Maybe love to you is just a dream. And that's not what this is really about here. In this case, Abigail is seeking what is good for her husband. I think in Matthew 5, verse 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I think an abuser would fit under that category of an enemy, right? And yet, we are commanded to love, and that's not easy. What this doesn't mean, though, is that she needs to stay in that abusive situation. It does not mean that. It also does not mean that you let them get away with it, okay? Abigail desires to save her husband by interceding for him. She wants good for her husband. And I think what's good for your husband isn't necessarily you sitting there and, and enduring it. It isn't necessarily you getting up every morning and cooking him breakfast and pretending like nothing is the matter. Sometimes the best good that you can do for him is to get him the help that he needs to get. Could be getting him counseling. Could be possibly leaving. Could be calling the cops. These things are, they may not look good on the surface, but they might be what is the best good for him. Ultimately, this is, this is what I want to point out from this text, though. Abigail was not alone. God was on her side. God was looking out for her. Her name means joy of her father. I can't imagine being a father and seeing this happen to your daughter and having to, having to see what she's having to go through. But I'm grateful that, at least in Abigail's case, God killed Nabal. God took care of the problem. And that should be a warning for, the, for those who are abusers, those who do not treat their, their wives the way that they should be. God sees. He is not blind, and he will deal with it. But for those who are in a relationship like this, you are not alone. God, as I just said, God sees. And God is working in the background to be there for you. And I, I just want to challenge you. If you're in that type of situation, come, talk to us. Let us be able to be a help if we can. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll have a time of invitation tonight. <clears throat> Just spend some time praying to the Lord about what we've talked about, at least, at the very least. Maybe you're, you're nowhere near being in a situation like this, but let's just intercede for people who are. Take them to the Lord.
Okay, don't forget, uh, be praying for us as we travel. We'll be starting out tonight, uh, traveling partially through the night at least, on our way to Virginia. But also, Andrew and Emily. Emily is going into the hospital tomorrow to be induced, correct? So, be praying for them. So, she's giving birth to twins, so she needs prayer, okay? So, <laughs> I watched a studio see where the husband had a hat put on him that made him feel the birth pangs. And his wife didn't tell him they were having twins when he sat down. So he gets through this whole process, and he's like, oh, great, the baby's out. And he's like, oh, look, look at this baby. And then all of a sudden, he starts getting more pains. And he's like, oh, honey, I forgot to tell you, we're having twins, okay? So, so be praying for Emily tomorrow, okay? Um, Rick, do you mind closing us in prayer tonight?